Just conceal something told me that I probably shouldn't be behind the wheel of that Bonneville. I was still feeling kind of ill, not a dollar bill. Time to kill, trying to sign a deal. Ten years before state crop was rock life a mill. I was popping pills, unaware that still sharp and still I'm grown. Dropping my popular b-boy poems. Took me to a Mary Baraka from Leroy Jones to Haj Malik El Shabazz from Detroit Red and to the polar opposite of what your report said. When me and Spine Art was playing our part, creating con art to curate and find art. Now a nigga's a monarch The torch head was force fed Look how the flames flicker Now if it's what Thor said You know the name quicker Uh Yeah I'm the big homie in the Smithsonian I'm a ox show the box Niggas can't throw me in The punishment I'ma hit him with his draft Conian It's in me Muscle memory is Pavlovian The magnificent With the tennis skin tone Ain't nobody fucking with me Keep him in the friend zone Keep him closer than my enemy Which I depend on For that motivation That's what keep a nigga in vogue Finger full of Flintstones Louder than a motherfucking pimp clothes Haters I am the weapon The Lord formed against those I prefer the lower mathematics Over Jim Crows My pros keep them devils Jumping out the windows The man telling you shams To go to hell if you a goddamn pyramid Scam evangelical The origin of my grace Is unavailable But you would know the name of the place Is Illadella if you a real one Got the bop gun loaded up to kill one Drop cruising like Top Gun through Brazil When your net worth is millions People too familiar My network is real young Careful where you chill, son I'm the Magnificent Stay playing where them bad bitches is Dilla Slum Village, Mac Nicholas People know my style nasty as black licorice Back, quick Turn around on this one Quentin, this week We are, this week, this uh, I guess it's week. We'll probably end up recording on this weekend. Um, this week we are the Rubber Bandman. Um, <laughs> Quentin, this one was yours, so you explain it. Well, Okada has the money clip, and I figured as me and you are not as not nearly as rich <laughs> or coming from fountains of money like yeah. Okada that. Instead of a clip, I would imagine people like me and you would use rubber rubber bands, Tim. <laughs> That's that's hey that's a good point. I was thinking they should have a uh, what's his name Ridge Holland when he comes back from his injury. Uh, now that he has to work a more slowed down style after getting hurt and, and having dropped Johnny Gargano on his head, he could start doing a Ridge Wallet because that's like a, a version mm. of the mo- a money clip. Um, and he could call it. He could just do the money clip, the same Scorpion Deathlock or not Scorpion Deathlock. Uh, what is it? Uh, Cobra Clutch. Call it the Ridge Wallet. But uh, I think the Rubber Band Man that also works. Um, Quentin, we're back, and we intentionally, and I felt bad, so I'll say I apologize, intentionally did not talk about the G1 stuff at all on the last episode, and I felt bad for even bringing up Will Ospreay when we were talking about the Ryan Smile thing. I realized as I was saying it, but I asked you to not even talk about it, and I brought him up, so I apologize, Quentin. Um, But now, let's talk about it. Do you want to talk about (laughs) uh, Will Ospreay and all the stuff that we had uh, mentioned before we recorded last episode. Okay, so I'm not. Sh- it feels like we should do it because if we're, if every if everyone jumped on the IWL stuff when it first came out in June or July, it feels like it's the, the responsible thing is to talk about this too, right? 
Right. I mean, if you're going to, right, if you do the, the uh, what is it, like a, the correction in the newspaper, it's supposed to be the same size as the, the original article, or at least it used to um, be that way, if you have journalistic integrity. So, in the wake of Ryan Smiles passing, Will Ospreay had posted on his Instagram story, as I believe he he has deleted his Twitter, about people... Yeah. Being the same ones that cyberbullied Ryan Smile are now the ones talking about be kind to others. You never know what somebody's going through. And that made the rounds on Twitter and people started to bring up the fact, well, you're talking about be kind to others and you're the one that was a rape apologist for an accusation against your best against one of your best friends and got a woman blackballed for telling her for telling her story and i guess that led to IWL the promotion that during the speaking out stuff made the point uh at the time that the venue that the venue had called them and told them that they wanted Pollyanna off of the show and it sounded and from what IWL posted on Twitter it sounded like they were told Osprey was their boy and it seemed like they were doing it 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 was done in the interest of Will Osprey and IWL made no blurred lines on their allegiances at this point in time they said fuck Will Osprey uh he's lying and uh, other disparaging things towards them, pretty much just no, but pretty much stating what 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 their stance was and who they and who they aligned with on this matter. They ne- they then they then come forward during this during I guess the same day or day after or a couple of days after the Ryan Smiles death and what Will Osprey posts and see that they're getting. That their statement is getting associated with people using that against Will Ospreay to call him a hypocrite for his Ryan Smile point. And IWL decides to come out and, I guess, clarify for people that that they don't know that Will Ospreay is the person that made the call to that venue. Or will Osprey made a call at all to that venue? Um, they always made it seem that way, and now it's now they're saying that they have since had information that makes them not just assume or go with the story or the assumption that it was Will Osprey, in fact, who got the venue to make a call to get Pollyanna off off of the IWL show. Um, before we get any, into anything else regarding this, Tim, how do you feel so far? Confused. <laughs> That's like the biggest takeaway from the whole thing is it's all very murky and confusing. Um, I guess, theoretically, the only reason why Osprey never spoke out and said, cleared his name of it was that he knew that one of the people that was 
actually involved in what was going on was using his name as credibility or his connection uh, yeah. to Osprey yeah, well, look, for credibility. So he, he didn't yeah, want so to let's, out so that let's person. Get to that part. Um, Oison Delaney, a member of the NIC tag team, tag team, a tag team based in England. Um, Progress, Revpro worked have worked all have worked all over the place. Has been very vocal during this entire thing, and the version of events that he says is that Jerry Vanderthorn, the owner of the Resgal venue that IWL was trying to run, um, is one of Osprey's trainers, or his claim to fame is being one of Osprey's trainers. And that Jerry Vanderthorn just on his own accord with no push from Will, no nudging from Will, decided to, I guess, whatever he saw, whatever he knew of the Pollyanna and Will situation, decided that he was going to call IWL and get and get and get Pollyanna off of the show. For does, whether he had his own issues with Pollyanna that I that we don't know of, whether he thought he was doing something uh, as a favor to a friend, I guess nobody knows. But that is the story that Oyson Delaney is telling is is saying that Jerry Vanderthorn is the one that did this with no prodding from Will or any. Um, word from Will or any uh, any asking from Will to get this done and that the IWL promotion found this out and that they had already made their stance so clear and what they had been said on Twitter has been has been used to um for lack of a better word, lack of a better term, drag Will Ospreay for the last few months because that seemed like a pretty clear um, indictment of Will in this entire situation that not only was he a rape apologist, he went out of his way to get someone blackballed, that we had been using this as fact and information for months. That when it term when this information comes to them and that this might and that this might not have been the case uh that they were trying to cover their own asses and their own credibility and not come forward publicly with a big statement and apology and that will like you said knows the guy that did this has some kind of connection with them and decided to bite the bullet and just take the blame because he knows the guy, and he wasn't, and, and he didn't want to put that guy on blast either. Um, go ahead. And that guy, that guy, Vander Vanderhorn, Ruben is that? Ru- no, Ruben is the venue person, right? Uh, uh, no, no. Um, Ruben is the IWL person. Okay. And and Vanderhorn. and Jerry and, 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 Jer- Jerry. and Jerry Vanderhorn, Vanderhorn, Vanderhorn is the rest gal uh, venue. Yeah, and that's and they're the one that supposedly was involved in training uh, Osprey when he was young, um, and and he doesn't have like uh, online presence really. He's not out there, so like you haven't heard his side of the story. I guess maybe 
if we were combing through like Facebooks, you might be able to find it. Probably seems like he's one of those guys. Um, so it's like there's no public statements coming from them. Uh, Gary Vanderhorn or whatever. Um, you've got, like you said, supposedly like. So to me, it just seems like Osprey didn't want to publicly like denounce someone who, like I said, was like using his name. Like, using Osprey's name to say, like, hey, you know, I'm this guy who trained Will Osprey, and I say, take this person off the show or whatever. But no real explanation is Gary Vanderhorn's issue with with Pollyanna, other than still the same thing. So it kind of comes down to, like, what's the difference? Is this just Osprey using a proxy to still get what he wants? Is it still all part of the same crew? If this person trained Osprey, then I would say... They have to have a close connection to Scotty Wainwright, Scotty Essex, right? I mean, I, so for so for the, so for the record, if you do go on, if you do look up for a for a, for a Gary Vanderhorn, um, and this is this is public, this is on Facebook. He is his his bio says director at Lucha Britannia. Oh, hey, there and, we go. And if you know anything about you know Will and where Will comes from and Will's beginnings. Then you know that Lucha Britannia was his first home promotion, right? And it's basically the same as like I hate to even say this, like three two one battle, um, where it's like there is a lot of there was a lot of crossover with yarders and people who didn't necessarily have official training types, just kind of goofing around, you know. So a lot of people involved there. I guess also a uh, uh, hood slam would be another one to compare it to. A lot of people who are not necessarily professional wrestlers didn't wrestle in a ton of other places and kind of a bunch of friends, close friends, having fun goofing around a little bit here and there. And yeah, Will, uh, Paul Robinson, um, there's a few other people who all kind of wrestled there, but those are the two that I remember off the top of my head right now. Um, so yeah, it's uh, he was involved with that as well. So that goes way back. I mean, that's, again, like I said, that's like Osprey from the days of being a backyarder maybe in the middle of training maybe not even trained that's, yet that's that's osprey literally as a kid yeah so scotty wainwright and will osprey have been friends since they were kids so to me like i said if this person is connected with all of that then they know scotty wainwright too so i assume this is all connected i mean this is not an excuse this is not to me this is not a like this really clears the air for anybody or makes anybody look okay, any better okay, they're okay, all still okay. involved Okay, well, let me let me make my argument then, right? Is that obviously like this doesn't change whatever Will Osprey did in terms of going on Twitter and like denying Pollyanna's claims of a sexual assault happening because he's friends with somebody. That's still terrible. That's still awful, and he never really apologized for that the way that he should have. But if this is the case. So look at IW, look at IWL even saying this now. The British wrestling scene is dead. They look the European scene is completely fucked and going to need a a new starting point. Really, this is another. This is almost a complete reset of this scene. What good does it do IWL to months later? suddenly say this like what what would they gain from that so 
when we have this information and it does seem like there are like long running connections here if they had already been so closely attached to a reason being used as to why Osprey is a terrible awful person what good does it do them now months later to suddenly like ease off of, ease off from that in my opinion right because it was it wasn't just clarifying like you know like people like people thought it was it wasn't just a clarification if you remember back when it happened they were saying fuck will osprey he's a liar he's a piece of shit da, 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 da. he they, this is all public that they did that so this isn't just a clarification this is a complete 180 in tone from how they were talking about will osprey back in july right yeah and they even i mean on top of that i think that part of that the vitriol that they took towards osprey in the beginning was part of what i think confused the issue because in a lot of ways they haven't changed the details of their story much other than what they've changed is that they're not directly as like saying fuck will osprey and i think that was the only thing that's really set the tone because even before it was kind of like we were contacted by the venue we assumed that Osprey was involved, but they never outright said that that was the case. And then it was, but also fuck Will Osprey. And I think that then people just understood that to mean Will Osprey did it, you know. And I don't think that they ever said that clearly. So, in some ways, this was a clarification thing, but it is changing the the vitriol towards Osprey that they unabashedly had to begin with. And I feel like it doesn't, like, I think it's too little too late. I don't see, like, them saying this and now, what, everything's fine? And Will Ospreay is going to be, like, oh, cool oh, with oh, them? Oh, no, of, of, course, of course not. Especially yeah. now that we, like, have the information that, like, Gary Vanderhorn is, Lucha, like, was associated with Lucha Britannia. Right. So, even if, right, like, and I have the belief that, like, they literally gain nothing from putting this out there now. So, why would they, why would, who, why would they lie about this? Um, why would they suddenly have a sympathetic tone towards Osprey if they if there was you know, there's nothing to gain here? Yeah. Um. So part of me, like, even if it doesn't absolve Osprey from being a bad person that had a bad call on a on a, someone's sexual assault because he had let his personal feelings get get wrapped up in it. Like Gary Vanderhorn this guy that had control of the venue is involved with Lucha Britannia and probably did and probably acted on his own accord because he also knows Scotty Wainwright and was aware of the Pollyanna situation. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it doesn't, I don't know. It's not enough separation to make it really have like a, any distincting features to it. It's kind of like, this is a, uh, you know, uh, a distinction in name only without any real like substance to it because it's still just the idea that it's the same crew what it all comes down to when it's at the end of the day is Pollyanna is getting blackballed from wrestling shows because of her claim that Scotty Wainwright sexually assaulted her and who's involved with saying what or where doesn't make a difference because that's what it all comes back to and anybody who's still on the side of Scotty Wainwright in that conversation is part of her getting treated that way and her getting treated as if her claims are unwarranted, unfounded. So even if all you do is, you know, publicly, openly be friends with Scotty Wainwright still, you're still taking his side in the story saying that it's not true that she was sexually assaulted, which 
I mean, I guess in the end, we don't know. Women don't lie about this. I 100% believe her. You know what I mean? But I, I guess we can't, nothing can be proven. So in a court of law, they're not doing anything illegal. But it is really shitty. You know, and, and especially when you're using your power. I mean, this is, this is the stuff that people talk about when they talk about institutionalized sexism, racism, all of this stuff. This is where the institution and power... Pa- you know, patriarchy. And the patriarchy continues to foster, basically, the people in power keep power. And what they say is what's taken as fact. And those are the people and the voices that get continue to move forward while everyone else doesn't. And then, you know, plenty of people turn a blind eye to it and act like somehow it's gone. But it's still there. And this is a really gross, gross example of it. But in everyday, even small things, this it still exists. And it's it's just that a situation like this makes it glaringly obvious. Um, so, obviously, um, a lot of people who were Osprey fans throughout all of this were on Twitter and saying that people owe Osprey apologies. And that... If he did, if he really didn't have anything to do with this, the people should be apologizing to him for the way that they were treated, like going at him, the last like the last few months of this. Um, how do you feel about that coming from uh, certain sections of the internet and Osprey's and Osprey supporters? Uh, it's disgusting. It's really disgusting the way that Stan culture and it's the polarization of 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 our society in general. We live in a society, Quentin. Um, but it's true that, like, we've gotten to a point where you pick your sides and then that means that everything that your side does is 100% correct and good and anyone who's against it is bad. And it's disgusting to turn something like this into, well, you should apologize to him when, like you said, it doesn't change anything about what he actually did when it came to defending and attempting to discredit a victim of a sexual assault. Will Ospreay's still a rape, rape apologist. The blackballing thing was the icing on the cake, and people are a lot of people, you know, use that as the main dunk because it. Yeah, like, like that, like 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 that got used as the see. This is why he's bad. When it's like, no, the rape apologist thing. This is this has been here, right. and then the idea that he that he then used his power to get somebody blackballed after their sexual assault. That was just like, oh, here, like here, there's a bunch of cherries on top of this. Right. I heard. I heard someone. Uh, doing like kind of a close reading recently, not really like a super close reading, but kind of like the neo, like uh, kind of um, I guess they're like the trad cath, the online like trad cath movement kind of people, doing like a close reading of the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is like a very popular, you know, section from Scripture of Jesus basically giving like his teachings and explaining essentially what it means to be Christian, you know, what it means now if you're like if you're a Jewish person. Uh, what it's like now, the way that things should be to be Christian. Basically, they refer to it as like the New Ten Commandments or the Christian Ten Commandments, really. Um, and he talks about the idea of sin of the mind uh, and, and sin in the heart, right? And to think things are almost just as bad as doing them. And I'm not a Christian. You know, I don't believe in any religion. But if you if you do, and if you just follow the idea kind of for what it means in a lot of ways i mean being someone who defends someone who commits a sexual assault is almost as bad as doing the sexual assault itself in a lot of ways because what you're doing is you're publicly saying that you're fine with sexual assault happening 
and you're not condemning it as a bad thing you know and so yeah to be like the problem and and the dunk the main dunk is that he's he's black called her blackballed is far from it the the biggest thing is to show that he has the moral bankruptcy to think that it's more important to defend his friend than it is to condemn sexual assault that's the real biggest failing of, of will osprey as a person right and that's the real the biggest moral issue with the whole thing so yeah it's like this is this is kind of the postscript this was the aftermath this was the well here's some proof of him doing this really bad thing that's related to the terrible thing that we're acute not accusing him of there is no accusation it is public information that will osprey took the side of his friend and denies that he committed a sexual assault and defends his friend over the person who accuses him of the sexual assault and that's the issue and that is not up for debate that is out in public record because osprey did it in public it's not there's no question to that the rest of this again it's confusing it's weird it's i guess intriguing and interesting it's really like you know like it's not like dissimilar like from a lot of how we heard like the ending of you know i guess it's wow not like how cwf ended and just like the like the real like mess right that was like, there was a lot going on and when you like get certain details of things like especially in, like in the, in the wrestling world it's just like there's so much shit happening and it's just like man like sometimes like I, I'm not sure if I said it to you on air or off air the last time you recorded, but sometimes the lie is more, or sometimes the lie, so it just makes more sense than the truth, or sometimes the truth sounds more far-fetched than the lie. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, this is the case, and I think, we, I, you know, me and you and this podcast, we tried to get some of that CWF stuff out there, you know, and I talked about it on other podcasts we had, but we had Dylan on, and I directly asked him you know brad stutz what's the situation and everything that came out there was like a lot of it and we talked about it and we talked through stuff but there's so much weird backstage information stuff that i know that me and you have both like heard hints and rumors about and like i said we've gotten out the information that we could get from dylan but i'm not gonna dog and hunt down to get all the information but if there was somebody who was willing to get up people on the record and tell that full story it's like fucking it is very interesting but at the end of the day just like with this at the end of the day kind of the real issues were the stuff that was out in the public and not even the stuff that was happening behind the scenes and hidden and the maneuvering and the interesting you know there's the palish intrigue to all of that but when it really comes down to it the the real dirt is like i said the stuff that you're seeing that happened directly out on social media. So you don't even need to, you don't need all of that stuff to know the real like story, but it is intriguing. There is a lot of backstage intrigue that would, could be like, yeah, like you said, sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. The stuff could be like, uh, like some kind of biopic or something about it, you know? Uh, moving on. I just, I, I think both of us just felt like if we were going to talk about the IWL thing, when it happened and when we came back from our break and talking about speaking out and how we felt about it and we used that as you know talking about Will Ospreay and people like him and people that were being accused that like it felt like it felt like the right thing to do to at least come back and talk about that not that anyone is absolved of anything not that anyone is suddenly not a bad person 
you know, like, but that is, regardless, like a really big development there, to say the least, I would think. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, all right, G1, or I guess the J1, we should call it, um, uh, for the, uh, for Jay White, um, the final three nights, I guess, or, okay, we, so we did a, like, touch base early on, I think, like, three or four nights in, um, I think we talked a little bit about stuff, but really not a bunch in between, and I said from the beginning that, like, we would not cover G1 thoroughly. We ended up covering it, I think, a lot less thoroughly than even I expected. But you can't say that I didn't warn you. That I didn't say that this is not your podcast for in-depth G1 coverage. And I gave you two examples of places that you could go for that. As far as I'm concerned, you know, there's plenty of in-depth G1 coverage out there, you know. Um, do you want to start out by talking about some big picture stuff before we kind of talk about the last three nights will be our focus? Um, just some just some quick thoughts. Uh, Jay White, fantastic tournament, um, all the way through. The Okada story. Um, I I kind of so I actually like went back and I watched all of Okada's matches, kind of like like all the way through, like back to back to back to back, and going from you know Bushi to Yujiro to Jay White to uh Cobb like and like just going through that and seeing the development and everything and seeing him like slowly get things back together after the slump and like he wins three straight matches versus Cobb, Minoru Suzuki and Taichi with uh pin combinations and the first time that he even uh with a money clip submission even works and gets him a victory is versus Shingo and him getting his uh getting his groove back after that. You know, I I talked about it on the psychology is dead with Joseph. I fully acknowledge that Okada is a guy with the limited crowd experience and atmosphere going on that with all they can do is clap and you know, and that like that he's probably someone more hindered by that or more affected by that outwardly because he doesn't have as good of a fundamental base as some other wrestlers do. He might not hit as hard as some of the other wrestlers do. Um, so he might be someone where his matches might be effect, might be more effective for people. But or even or even the story, they might not like the story as much that uh, he is in this rut and that this rut might also be affecting his matches because he's not doing certain things that would lead to his matches being better, like hitting certain spots and uh, and things like that. So I'm not here to argue with somebody and say that if they didn't like the story that they are wrong and they're stupid and they don't appreciate the nuance. But for me, when I went through it again and then when I eventually got to the end with him and with him at Osprey on the final night, I wound up really enjoying the Okada story from from beginning to end and what that was meant to be. And I'm really excited to see when Okada uh, fucking Rainmaker's the head off of Osprey at some point. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, you're probably right about that. You're, I mean, I, I highly doubt that you're wrong that, like, a G1 Climax 30 close read of Okada's, you know, tournament is not a compelling story and worthwhile to watch. But we talked about it when I did the kind of, we did the, like, brief touch around, like, Night 4, Night 5 or whatever, like... 
the issue is that it's a little bit too nuanced and it's a little bit too like, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. And there's yeah. so much going on with the tournament. And if you're watching the other tournaments too, and you're trying to keep up with any other wrestling also, it's like it's tough to, to keep up with that in depth of a story going on. And like, unless you do, like you said, watching every night in a row back to back, then you can really see the story develop. And I, and I, I liked, I mean, to me, I thought that the story with, with Shingo and, and, and the way that Shingo sold for the money clip for the first win on the, uh, with that as a submission worked really well, but that was such a small moment in the overall picture of so many things that it was really easy to overlook, I think, and like not appreciate that being like this turning point moment in the, in the tournament. Um, but like I said, I'm sure that you're completely correct. But for someone who wasn't, who didn't watch every match back to back to back like that and just watch the overall, I was not impressed with Okada. But but I get it, and I get the work, and I talked about it. Where it's like it's he's clearly has something where he's trying to do something a little bit different as like his version of telling stories throughout the the G1 tournament. It just might be a little bit too much. But it makes sense for Okada because the Okada run in New Japan and the Okada fans. The people who really appreciate Okada, like you, are one of them. I mean, for a long time, you've been a, a, a big-time Okada pusher. Um, it, it works, because you have a better memory for that kind of stuff than me. You always have. You always, like, pick out the little details and, and point out that stuff, and I've never been, you know, as big into that. Like, like, it's, 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 like, literally what Okada is, like... Yeah. Made it, like, you know, he's, like, the big fireworks and, made it like, you know, New Japan main event guy, but if you go through everything from... The Tanahashi stuff through through um, the Omega stuff through the Naito stuff and the um, the 2018 after he loses to Omega and him wearing the long pants and him getting him having to find his way back and now this like Okada does a lot of stuff like this and yep. I get it that for some people that just might not be it but I think that for Okada. Um, a year where I think going into it, they knew that he wasn't going to be the focus going into the last night. Um, when you had other people that had bigger things going on, like, you know, Osprey and his eventual turn that was coming, uh, Kota Ibushi going on to win the tournament, Jay White and the seeds being sown that, uh, you know, he might be, uh, that he might be turning face soon. It, it, you know, Okada wasn't the focus. And I think that because of that, Okada was just like, no, let's just have like a little underlying thing for me to do because Okada had nothing to do. Yeah. Okada's a weirdo. I mean, Okada's a weirdo and he loves the details. And I, I can, I feel like I can tell that he's the kind of guy who gets off on doing stupid little stuff. He, it pops himself to just do little stupid detail things. And it works for people who, who like, have that same kind of brain where they, like, little stuff like that, they, like, can notice it and pick it up. It doesn't work for everybody to be able to notice and pick that up. But that said, I mean, I think that there's a lot of... People are going a bit over the top with, like, that he's fucking do been dog shit the whole tournament because I don't think that he has been. I think that he's done a really... I think in some ways it's almost trolling what he does because he does kind of intentionally tease giving you those like epic matches, but then he doesn't deliver them. I talked about it with the money clip specifically. I, guess, I, guess I, I think the Ibushi and Yujiro matches were so like off-putting that everything else after that, like I thought honestly everything else after that, like with, with the with your mileage varying on the Cobb match, but everything else from Jay to Taichi to Minoru Suzuki to um, 
to Ishii to uh, Shingo to eventually the Osprey match, I thought it was all really good, honestly, or like varying levels of good. I, like I was surprised to see people to see people like keep saying that. I'm, like, okay, I get it. The Abushi match was disappointing, and like you know, he didn't look great versus Yujiro, but like I thought everything else was good after that. Yeah, and I think that part of the, that was the trouble, too, is that Yujiro turned around and, like, had some solid performances throughout the tournament and basically had a summer of Yujiro matches with, with Osprey, or not with Osprey, with Okada, and then starts out the tournament with a bad match with Okada to where I think that people look back on that, and I've heard people even point it out, saying, like, Yujiro was really good throughout the tournament. The only bad match he had was with Okada. I wonder why, you know, and it's like... Okay, let's slow down a little bit there. You know, let's not pretend like Yujiro was like somehow amazing other than the one Okada match. It's like he was fine. And he was actually he beat expectations. I think honestly another thing to question we talked about it, you know, before uh before the tournament, but you you pegged Taichi as the number two worst guy, and I felt like he delivered pretty solidly throughout the tournament too. So I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people over delivered in spots Taiji, where you like, he's Taiji just didn't he didn't have a lot of the bullshit bullshit going on honestly like there yeah. were already so many people that like had the stuff going had the stuff going on that Taiji honestly I go through I go through all of his you know his tournament and from again from from Osprey to to Ishii to Shingo Taiji Taiji has some bangers man I gotta give it to him like again when I say that he like you know I think the New Japan roster is so good for the most part that when I say that someone's like the worst, like you know the yeah. like the second worst in the tournament, it's like yeah, but like that doesn't mean this person's a bad wrestler because like look at the like look at the field. Like yeah. this is a lot of really good wrestlers here. Yeah, I would say yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people over delivered. A lot of people beat expectations. I think even some people that. Yeah, but- your boy, oh. your boy Cobb did for sure. Well, I'll I'll get into that actually when we get, when we start the the match there. Um, or I was gonna mention it, but yeah, that. But then there was a couple under deliver guys. Uh, one of which is not a big deal. Un- oh, actually, before I'll, that, I'll talk about over one more over delivered. Toriano, the tape stuff he did. I thought he did some interesting stuff, and he had one particularly great match with Zack Saber Junior. That was like yeah, like otherworldly good so it's kind of like Zach, Zach and Yano are yeah. so good together <laughs> well they they have really similar sensibilities in a lot of ways I think they both like the same mm-hmm. kind of comedy and they both can wrestle on the mat so they they definitely know how to deliver and Zach really you know he really leaned in this tournament to crybaby uh, saber which I which is very interesting but he was definitely channeling uh, major crybaby, crybaby antics throughout the entire tournament um, but uh, under deliver guys guys who Expected a little more from one is Yoshihashi. Won't say he had a terrible tournament, but uh, I think me and you both expected more from him here. And he brought it, and he was never dogging it, but he didn't have any big breakout matches to me. There wasn't really anything from Yoshihashi throughout the tournament that really stood out, as far as I was concerned. Uh, I mean, yeah, but in general... uh... I feel like if you switch Taichi and Yoshihashi, I feel like Yoshihashi is still probably... Do you think that Yoshikachi's matches are that much worse than Taichi's? No, no, not particularly. And and part of it probably is that too that Yoshihashi or Taichi had better opponents regularly than than Yoshihashi did. Um, but still, he just kind of underdelivered, unfortunately for me personally, because I was expecting something. And one that underdelivered, but it's interesting because there's so many fucking people ready to pick up 
basically his spot as being the mid-card workhorse for decades, not decades, but for a very long time at this point, was uh, Hiroki Goto. Hiroki Goto. Um, Shoulder injury might be a big part of it, but felt uh, felt like this was the first tournament in a long time that he just was off a step compared to all the other people. You're used to Goto going out there and delivering. He was better. He uh, he did have that going on at first, and then I don't know. It seemed like it might have been a. It seems like it might have been a word because he then goes right back and has a really good match with Tanahashi, which was like their best match yeah. together in years. Yeah, really. Yeah, but it was a. Uh, it was interesting because you you don't expect to ever see Goto have such quick matches and such like n- nothing performances. Um, so again, it could have been injury. Uh, Oh, go, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, that was it. Just could have been injury. Could have been that. But there's a ton of people who are ready to kind of pick up that mantle of being the mid-card workhorse guy if Goto is maybe going out from that that spot. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, you know, not someone that really mattered in points, wound up finishing with eight points. But from and, – and, and, like, you know, the Zach matches have had diminishing returns, and, I, you know, and I've admitted that as we've uh, done that on – as we've done the podcast. But – you know, the Naito match from the first time of B-Block action, like, still remain one of my favorite matches of the tournament as, as the entire tournament went through. The only B-Block match that I really regard that way. Honestly, um, you know, Tanahashi versus Juice. Like, Tanahashi versus Goto. Like, I, you know, Tanahashi versus Sonata was yeah. pretty good, too. Like, you know, I think Tanahashi, you know, you know the old man has an ego. And he knew that he wasn't gonna be as um, in in as much of importance this go around, and he was like, "Man, fuck it, I'm still the guy here. I'm still really good, so I'm gonna find a way with all this Sonata and Naito and Evil and Kenta going on. That I'm still gonna I'm still gonna find a way to be the talk." And Tanahashi Tanahashi still did that. Tanahashi wound up being the best guy in the block. Yeah, I mean. He's definitely still, uh, still like you said, has the ego. And another person who kind of similarly did the same thing in the same block was Naito to me. I think that coming in, it, it talked about the load management block and Naito and Tanahashi being able to take nights off. And Naito came in here as the double champion and he felt like he had something to prove. And he set a record for having the longest matches, the most cumulative time in a G1 ever. Like, he went out here to show that he's not broken down, taking nights off, working short matches, going home. He didn't really have a single night off the entire time. He busted his ass and worked hard the whole way through. Um, Mileage may vary on the match quality, but for me, for the most part, I thought he delivered pretty solid solid matches throughout. We talked about the Zack match being really good. Um, I thought that the Juice match was a lot of fun. Um... The evil match was for me. I li- I've liked their matches. I think more than most people. I didn't. I wouldn't say that I love. I love any of them, but I do think that I think people go a little bit overboard with how much they shit on his matches. And then the Tanahashi match obviously was was phenomenal. But those two are always great together. So I just thought that Naito was another one who came out similar to Tanahashi. I think he had something to prove, which is like, yeah, like I may not be, you know, a big. Or, you know, I'm the champion. I'm I'm. The guy who should be still seen as the top guy, even if like people aren't expecting him to win, and he stayed alive until basically the final, and uh, and I was feeling like maybe I was gonna hit you know hit lightning, strike yeah. lightning with my call because I thought like they it seemed like they were getting to the point where it made sense that he would win. Um, so yeah, he really uh, 
he really came out here and not just like like I said, not just with something to prove, but also like wanting to show that he was out here to work and put in time and basically not be load management, not taking nights off. He was working hard every night. Um Alright, so going so going into the last three nights, um, I think that could be for both for both of us. Are we really gonna have much to say when it comes to the uh to the B block night? Not really. Okay. Um, I'll we'll probably touch on Sonata Sonata Evil and uh, maybe whatever else we we have, we have some opinions on. But let's just get straight to it with the A block. Um, Jeff Cobb Ujiro, I don't have much to say here, but apparently you you have, you have something to say here. The only uh, thing I had to we, say we, here, good, nice, kind of you know, solid delivery here. My only my thing was is that Jeff Cobb, like you said, had a great tournament. He closes it out pretty strong. You know, he loses here, gives Yujiro his only points of the night, but is definitely being positioned as something. And uh, and it's perfect for me because now that other people are finally appreciating Jeff Cobb and I'm hearing a ton of praise, oh, he's looked so good in this G1 tournament, I can stop pretending like I like Jeff Cobb and move on because other <laughs> people finally like him and I can just I can drop it because it's been tough. I've gotten to the point where I'm just sick and tired of it, of being the only person who has to just constantly fake like uh, like this guy. No, I mean, Jeff kicked ass. I mean, throughout the entire tournament, I thought he looked really good. He had a bunch of great matches in his... The Ishii match was awesome. Yeah. I think he's ready to... I mean, Ishii is like MVP of the tournament, right? That's the whole oh, thing. Yeah. He's oh, a guy yeah. who like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm usually never super high on, but he kicks ass. But, uh, but or he kicked ass in this tournament. And yeah, like uh, really solid, really, really solid stuff uh, from Jeff Cobb the whole way through. And... and and this was a this was a good like final match for the tournament, especially if you're gonna have Yujiro get some points and not just win the whole way through. Um, and I think well, this. Um, and Jeff, I think Jeff th- Cobb also Jeff Jeff Cobb also needed to lose here. Yeah. For uh for Osprey to still be in contention later on yes. when he had his match. That's what I was gonna say, and that was another another part of it too was that the Yujiro win here makes it so that Osprey could still be in contention if there was a three way tie between like him, Abushi, and. Jay White or something, I think it was. So yeah, that was yeah, if, um, it, it, yeah, would have been if Cobb loses and Ibushi and Jay White also lose, then there was a way in which uh, Will would have would have been able to uh, get into the get into the final. Yeah. Uh, but move, moving on, uh, match that had no uh, standing at all. But you know it's. Two awesome fucking wrestlers. So who was not going to watch it is Shingo Takagi and Minoru Suzuki. They had already clashed over the Never Title earlier in the year. A uh, great match there. Not as good as the Never Title match, but you know what? But you know what? A rematch is coming down the line. You know how New Japan likes their trilogies and their series throughout the year. Um, I'm all for just more Shingo and Minoru Suzuki. This is like dream match shit for being you. So like, yeah, whatever. When I don't care. When it happens, when they do it, just give me more single Minoru Suzuki. I thought this was really good too. Yeah, I think out of any of the like big Dragon Gate stars, I think that I would want dream match with Suzuki. It'd be like Shingo, probably number two behind Mochizuki. You know, so unfortunately, I don't think that's ever gonna happen. Um, but yeah, like getting the Shingo um, and Suzuki rivalry has been like. Yeah, like kind of a dream come true in a lot of ways, and this—I mean, this was like a little road bump or a little like a little diversion in the story. It was not like a big, major stop on the on the on the tail between these two. Um, I guess the most intrigue—I mean, can you not say like this was the biggest match of the show in a lot of ways, especially I guess for Western fans? Um, 
Which is odd because it's in the middle. It's third from the top, but it's uh, Osprey. Yeah, it, it, this, this was this was this destruction destruction of the card was really weird. You know, we we well, like everyone saw the Okada and Osprey. Okay, like, will that will that be like the big match on the card? And then you see like oh it's third. Yeah. You're like oh okay something something's up here, but um. Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. We've been watching Will Ospreay throughout the tournament, and he's been a lot more heelish and arrogant in patting himself on the back during his matches and being a pompous ass and, you know, doing his disingenuous handshake shit. He's been doing a lot of heelish stuff. And, again, Tim, I don't know if you noticed it, when he comes out to face Okada, there was none of that, right? Yeah. This looked like old... Will Ospreay, this looked like, yeah, like when he first showed up in New Japan. Or maybe uh, Birds of Prey, because he's got all the crazy gear. But this is like, that was the vibe that he brought out here. It was like the, you know, out here to entertain the crowd, have a big match, kind of Okada when he comes out. And for most of the match, really, he's not particularly heelish. He opens up hot, almost like the, like the reminiscent of the opener from, uh, from the opening of the, the Hiromu match from the Dome. In a lot of ways, just like hitting it, hit the, hitting the ground running, and just like going full speed ahead from the start, and then slowly settle in with Okada taking over, and that's odd too because it is like we've developed that Osprey is leaning heel, and then you've got Okada being the one to slow it down and and cool it off for the crowd, and he should be the you would think would be the babyface clearly here, so they almost were like really giving you like a pretty diversionary style match from yeah, the beginning yeah, they were, yeah, they yeah. Get, well, just like you did it they gave you they were get, like giving you a diversion they have him working that have him working more heelish than he's ever worked in New Japan during the entire tournament and now here on the last stop versus this guy that he has all this history with the guy who where having a match with him is what got him into New Japan what got him into chaos and you know uh, one of the, one of his one of his mentors in a lot of ways and all that stuff went out the window. Yeah. And you see Okada fall back into, like, I'm still big brother. I'm still the mentor here and start controlling him. And it gets it more into the more typical, flashy, incredible stuff that Osprey and Okada can do together. You know, that their reversals and sequences and their uh, stuff off the ropes is going to look inc- incredible together. The, uh, the, Reversal Okada did, getting off of Osprey's shoulders after Osprey was going going for the os cutter and uh going and going and going for that and going for one of those lariats it was really awesome and just great looking. And here we here we go. Like people talked about how at first Okada was being super awkward getting the money clip on. And again, if you notice, look at how smoothly yeah. and easily for the most part that he's getting the money clip locked on the Osprey in all these different ways. And yeah. Osprey was moving around frantically trying to break it, trying to get to the ropes, but Okada kept finding ways to get the money clip on. And then to everyone's surprise, out comes B Priestley. And yeah. I guess the night night now you can jump in here like, dude, what the fuck? B Priestley's here. That was super weird. And it was very funny because I saw some like article posted online like a couple days later that was like AEW star debuts in New Japan and I was like what the fuck I was like damn and I hadn't watched the finals yet I think at this point so I was like 
god damn, I want to know what that's about, but I don't want to get spoiled, you know, for what happens on the final. So I'm like tempted to check, not check. I never, I never clicked on it, but I assumed after a while, I finally realized it. And I was like, oh, they're talking about B. They're calling B AEW star debuting in New Japan. And I never went back and looked, but I just thought that was very funny to see because yeah, like it was very, it was surprising to see her show up and the way she showed up and it was like not anticlimactic but it felt very like it wasn't a super huge focus when she showed up um and then the great Ocon, which is very hard for me to get used to even though it seems like it should be more normal because uh he was the great Ocon in the uk but now that he's come back they're there they have changed his name i guess officially to the great Ocon. Which yeah. is really fucking weird, um, and they should just call him the Great o- Otaku, I guess, um, just to make it easier. But uh, but yeah, he shows up, um, and I posted uh, you know the screen grab, but it did it really did remind me of that the group. I think that uh, my my sister used to say that it was the family. I don't know if that was ever officially what they were called, but Dolph Ziggler. AJ Lee and Biggie Langston. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but wow. I'm like this. That is who this is. That is the same fucking vibe. Like he's like the pretty boy, cocky, you know, smaller baby face or smaller heel. She's the like crazy girl with pigtails, like goth, goth adjacent psycho. And then he's like the big muscle guy. And like they even as far as like that they're teasing him as being Mongolian. You know, like they're like saying that Great Khan is like mongolian or something so he's even like kind of like semi poc or whatever like the whole the vibe is just like identical to where i was just like oh my god like it is so and i always really liked that group i don't know it's like that's like a it sticks in my head group because i just i liked the three of them their dynamic together was a lot yeah, of fun. It, it, it was it was it was a lot going on there yeah but yeah so i saw this and i was like oh shit it's the it's that it's like the same vibe um but yeah so it was like i was just like what the fuck so you have like a i don't know like Osprey Osprey gets his first win over Okada through um, bullshit, you know, and he does the whole confused look after after the after everything like oh I'm so confused and it turns into like slowly turns into this maniacal smile and laugh and he leaves the ring it looks like he's about to you know go away and then rushes back in to give to give Okada a head and blade and say fuck you I'm better than you and you were you held me back yeah and. From here, we just have we have Osprey has gone from chaos. Um, part of me, I kind of I kind of hoped that this unit stays within three people, but obviously, you don't want uh, Ocon taking falls like that. So, I'm kind of thinking how many more people they would add to this. I would think Robbie Eagles, if Robbie Eagles was able to come was able to come back, you might take you might put Robbie Eagles with him. But at the same time, before everything got messed up, Robbie Eagles was kind of getting pushed. Um, so I don't know what the plan is for you know the Empire or the Osprey Empire or whatever they're calling it. But I'm really intrigued and fascinated by this. I think Osprey can play a like he he's gonna have the good matches still. He's Osprey and that's yeah, he can't what help they want himself. him to be. You know, but like I think Osprey had to end him to be a good chicken shit heel. Especially, I don't know if you watched that tag match on the final, on on on, on the night of the final. I did, I did. But 
I think he ha- I think he has it in him. I'm not sure if he's actually like you know really meant to be a chicken shit, since he has so much pent up frustration and anger towards Okada. But yeah, I I, I don't know where this is gonna go. At most, I think I could see like Robbie Eagles joining here. Right, I could see Eagles. There's there's the the people talking about that there was a point when Cobb was supposed to be part of the group, but I think that o- that would have that would have been weird. I think Okan just kind of took that spot, though. I don't think that like there's any chance that that uh, that that becomes like that he actually joins. Um, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He's like, yeah. They're, they're, it wouldn't be Osprey, Cobb, and Okan. I think it, like it was either gonna yeah. be Cobb or Okan. Yeah, and I think that Okan is the guy. And, and honestly, I like Okan better in the role. Um, on top of everything, just the height works better, and the fact that like I. I won't say that Cobb would like outshine Osprey, but I do think that there is no chance that Okada or that Osprey is not the star of a stable with Khan. You know what I mean? Like of, he's of course because yeah. because because Oka, Okan's still learning. He's still a yeah. new wrestler and he's still getting everything under his you know you know under him and like you know guy remember this is still Oka's and like you know yeah. I'm not sure if they still have like plans for him at some point down the line after this gimmick you know they did have just have Kawato come back and he's doing like this master Watto thing so maybe they just like gave up on that class I don't know but this is still Oka who like came in with a whole bunch of hype behind him and maybe the people and maybe the same people who were in love with Oka aren't there anymore but you know I I, there's still part of me that thinks that Oka is still a project in that you know they'll get to him when they get to him you don't want Cobb and his you know free strength and insane spots like you don't want you don't want like them to be like this big tag team you want to use this as a vehicle to get osprey yeah to a certain point yeah i just i think that unfortunately like cobb not like i said i don't think that cobb would like outshine osprey necessarily star power wise but there would be a little bit more competition factor there that just would like make it it's not worth it it's just not worth it it's you're better off just going with this and like you talked about i mean Oka, I think, was a Nagata, you know, Nagata, Nakanishi, uh, even probably Kojima kind of guy. And I just, you know, he was an amateur wrestler. And I just think that uh, those guys don't have as much influence as they used to. So who knows? Like you were saying, who who really knows? But when you talked about the tag team match, you said, did you see the tag team match? I thought you were going to say, did you see the Swords of Essex versus uh, like CCK tag team feud from Osprey's heel oh, which oh, yeah, I know, well, yeah, of yeah, course, of course. yeah, but I just thought you were going to reference that because there's people out here who are saying, I don't know if Osprey can be a heel. And it's like, we have proof of a really good Osprey heel run as one of the, the last things he did in the UK. Um, tag team and also singles, the heel run stuff that he did in with uh, against Havoc. So there, he can be a heel. Like I, there's people out there who may not know that, that uh, Will Osprey can be a heel, but he can he can definitely be a heel. Um, so, you know, that's not, that's not necessarily the question there, um, on Osprey's ability to work as a heel. And I did, I would, I would prefer, um, yeah, that like, uh, Robbie Eagles joins and the Empire name I'm not a big fan of. So I think that it would have been pretty cool if you could have had, uh, Robbie Eagles join up and you could have Osprey and they could have been the birds and the bee. Um, but unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) we'll see if that happens, but, uh, but yeah, I would have been, I would have preferred that more. 
um, than the Empire. But uh, someone someone has to come here and take falls. Like that's true. I, 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 I think that's my thing here. Like unless your plan is to just have them go undefeated and like every build up tag, but like I don't like. Part of me still feels like they want Ocon to feel important. I don't think that they want to just feel like a, you know, Osprey's second fiddle and like someone that doesn't really matter. Um, I don't know. I, they, there needs another guy needs to needs to be there. So I don't right. know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, follow this up, and this is fucking wild because this could be, this could end up being on my match of the year list and it could end up being my new japan match of the year dude like, really. I, I thought about you i thought about you when i watched it I'm like dude like tim is probably just like what the fuck this is like the coolest shit this I've is fucking amazing in new japan and forever yeah this is i mean this reminds me of like the walter versus um uh dragon match really where it's like you just strip it down and you tell this really basic story with like almost no moves i mean this match has fucking kicks and that's it and primarily just kicks to the fucking quad, like big ass kicks to and the like, yeah. and just and just and just selling your leg hurting mm-hmm. and like a fucking leg TKO. Like that's all that's all it is. Like Yeah. It's this is fucking amazing. Like to go out there and strip wrestling down as, as basic as it can get and make it about it's not about any moves, it's not about anything, it's about selling your ass off telling the story of just two fucking gunslingers and and the commentary i don't know if you listen to the english commentary i did um the english commentary did a really good job of of framing this with the idea that that abushi is abushi's a fucking idiot abushi's out here trying to prove something he's the one who if he wins this can end up in the finals and have to wrestle again taichi doesn't and he's gonna go out here and do, risk his chances in, in being able to compete the next night or, you know, a couple nights later because of fucking deciding to do this match that just completely incapacitates his leg. Um, it was fucking beautiful. Like, this was so good. And like I said, I mean, this could end up being my New Japan match of the year. This could end up being my match of the year. It prob- may- probably not going to be my match of the year because there's already matches that I can think of that I like more. But this could end up in my, like, top ten matches of the year. Like, this is so fucking cool. These guys went out here and they just, like... Again, it's all emotion. It's all storytelling with the selling, the facials, and and really just like stripping it down as bare bones as you can go. And I, I fucking love it, man. Like this is what it's all about when it when it comes to wrestling. Like taking something and just giving you something completely different. And you talked about the structure of the card seems super weird, but then when you have this match, it kind of makes sense because like this match is so fucking odd that it wouldn't have made sense like any other place on the card really. Because it's like after this, like what do you? What do you do? What do you do after a match like this? I don't know how the crowd reacts to something like this. So you put it here after having a big fucking storyline drama match. You follow it up with this. And it's like the crowd is like ready for ready for something that's like basic, you know, but basic, but like really enthralling. And I just thought that, yeah, like this was phenomenal. Yeah, it's like this, the selling here, the pacing of it, the escalation it's such a unique match and that's what new japan really does better than anybody despite if you want to say that they're past their peak or whatever which i still keep see people still see people keep saying but it's like dude like look at the rest of wrestling your league is sit there and tell me that there's still like that many if any wrestling promotions better than new japan like even at like past their peak like 
Yeah. Like if like, if so, like name them, please. Well, the, but like the thing is, is that this ahead. is a risk. This is a match that like other companies wouldn't let anyone do, and that's why I think that it really stands out because they let them go out there and do something. This this is very unique, and it I mean it goes hand in hand with the idea that Okada like has matches where he doesn't even wrestle like his normal self, but like the idea that you let them go out and do something like this is like it's it's definitely taking a huge risk. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not nearly as uh, high on it. Where it's like in contention for like my New Japan match of the year. I think that's like it's still like far and away. Okada, Naito for me. Um, but I, I I was for sure blown away just at the structure, the selling, and everything about this being as good as it was. Um, but something I was equally impressed by as we go into the match that is last. Yeah. Um. On the show, Jay White, with his destiny in his hands, up against Tomohiro Ishii, who had six points coming into this show. This was Ishii was the perfect guy for this spot. Jay White came in like he had this shit in the bag. That he had, like he he are all he has to do is just win this match, and he's cool. He's good. Everything, everything else falls into place. And he works it that way. He's fucking with Ishii. He's rolling out of the ring. He's smiling at him. Patting him on his head. And Ishii is just like... Nah, nah, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm still Ishii. I, I'm still bringing the exact same energy I bring to every <laughs> single match. And... You know, you get something that you don't usually get. You get fucking leg work on Ishii, and Ishii's selling his legs. And, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, so you got, like, this, like, prime Jay White heel performance. Just being the ultimate dismissive jackass, knowing that he has this shit in the bag. Um, this limb work that he's doing on Ishii, and... You're getting an Ishii's performance, selling everything and being as uh, perseverant and angry and as pissed off as ever. And we we went we were both over the moon about their G1 match last year. Yeah, and I think this somehow exceeded it with even better performances. The same things the same things that I praised Jay for last year. What did I praise him for last year? I praised him for his selling, like. The main thing I'll always say for Jay White is that for someone that's as big and as strong as he is, and for the chops and forearms that we know that he can give out, he wrestles to what his character is. He wrestles what his character is. So even though he's towering over over Ishii, you know that we can he can hit Ishii really hard. Guess what? He's not supposed to hit as hard as Ishii. So when Ishii hits him hard, he fucking crumbles. When Kota Ibushi hits him hard. He fucking crumbles because that's what he's supposed to do, getting his, like, getting his cheating bullshit ass in striking contests with people who are tougher than him. And there's more, there's more of that here. He flies whenever Ishi, whenever Ishii hits him, and the slow realization that Ishii is just isn't gonna go out like that, washing over Jay White, and you feel the momentum shifting, and you feel Ishii like. I, I like he just can't let it happen. It's so perfect, and like 
every time like every time we come on here and we talk about how like Ishii loses that factor because they have him win so much and like you know he's done certain things a match like this will happen still yeah where he does come in the complete underdog completely dis like he's not any kind of title contention he's not even he's not even a contention for the never title they moved on to Shingo with me and Minoru Suzuki for God's sake. He just holds a never trio side. He's not, he's not a contention for shit. Even in this weird po- year where I was talking a... about they could do anything in the booking, they could come up with something, it still didn't ever cross my mind, honestly, that they could have Ishii win the tournament or win his block even, make it to the finals. So, yeah, he's 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 not. like He's not positioned as anything. He's not positioned as a guy who should be in the main event of the block deciding match, right? And, and here we are. Again, they reeled me back in with another fucking Ishii match, and everything about it just when we have, when we eventually get there and the cheating doesn't work, and Ishii just puts him down, and the <laughs> the counter leg work and everything about it and the when Ishii just finally does it and Jay and Gato are just looking at each other like what the fuck, it's. It's as it's as good as wrestling gets, man. Like, yeah, I I got I, I don't know what else you what you would want from wrestling. I guess say like the their sequences are clunky. I guess like I don't care. Like the like everything else about it was so great. The story was great. The context surrounding it is great. Like Ishii and it Ishii's first sumo hall main event. This is Ishii's first time main eventing sumo hall. And he spoils this fucking this fucking prick that was coming in here thinking he was just gonna walk all, walk all over him. Yeah, this is. I mean, you talk about it, but it's just uh, you talk about everything there. It's like, yeah, what do you what do you say about a match like this? I could make fun of what other people like and be like, there wasn't enough dives, and there should be an invisible man. That's what this match really needed. Or, or I could make fun of myself and say like, these guys, I don't even think had a single collar and elbow tie up. These guys didn't. You know what I mean? They didn't do any fucking technical wrestling. Um, they threw big-ass bombs. They hit big-ass strikes. There's, like, the closest thing to technical wrestling you could say is that somewhere in the middle of the match, Jay White realizes that, he's that like, he's actually in trouble and so he should start working the leg. Um, you know, because he, he thinks, he, like you said, he thinks he's going to come in here and have an easy make easy work of Ishii. Even though he sees that knee is typed up, he doesn't go after it first, which is interesting because it doesn't fit the Jay White conniving, cheating, like, kind of vibe that he, he usually gives because, off. Because he was so overconfident. Like, at least last year, Jay White had the slump. And when Jay, and because Jay White had the slump, he didn't come in to the Naito match so arrogantly. He came in like, I have to do anything that I can possibly do to get this victory. After that, when, when uh, you know, going and seeing going and seeing Ibushi, he, he say again, again, it's like, I have to make sure that I go in that match with an advantage. So he goes out there and attacks Ibushi. This isn't the same guy from the, from the, from, from the G1 last year. He has dominated. He's been the front runner the entire time. So he, has, he hasn't had any struggles. So now he comes in, and that's why he came in so arrogant versus Ishii. Even though he, even though he had a struggle with him last year, he just he like he didn't struggle this year, and I think that's great. It's such a like nice way of writing that, or even justifying why why Jay White 
came in the way he did because he literally didn't struggle this year. Yeah. Well, he had he had the one up on everyone. He did from the beginning because he even if he didn't have a ton of matches, he was the one that was wrestling in America. Still, he was doing the New Japan Strong while other people weren't really wrestling. And then he hit the ground running because when he showed up back in New Japan, he was like out of all the people showed like no ring rust and was like super smooth off the gate. So yeah, like the whole storyline about him saying that after I'm done, they're going to recall it. They're going to rename this the J one, like totally made sense. He was super confident and cocky coming in here because not only did he have the master game plan, he thought he had the block where like things would be easy for him because you know, obviously it didn't happen, but he thought Yujiro would just lay down for him, so he had that win with no questions. And he thought that he had the one-up on everyone else in the tournament because he had been so fucking good. He had come back, and he was, like, so smooth. And you talked about it, like, the the padding on the head is so great. It plays into the, the, the long-time, like, dynamic between Ishii and Jay White. Jay White has always called him the puppy. And he plays, you know, he talks about that. He's just a pit bull puppy. He's not, you know, he's not this big, nasty monster. So he pats him on his head like he's a little dog. He's not afraid of him. But the thing is, is that he's the stone pit bull. And part of what makes this this match more interesting than the last match, like you talked about, is there's even better character stuff from Jay White. But there's also the the thing that about stone is stone is hard, but stone also doesn't age. And that's the thing about Ishii is that it doesn't fucking matter. We've been watching this guy deliver these kind of matches in these positions for, I don't know, eight years, nine years. Ishii has been just like the same, exactly the same. You can see that his beard is completely gray. He's, you know that he's getting older, but it doesn't show. He's 44. He's 44. Yeah, but he still looks the same as he did when he was in his 30s. Like, this guy has not fucking changed at all. And, uh, and he delivers these huge-ass matches... So yeah, like the Stone Pitbull is the perfect name for him because he's just like a fucking rock, man. He doesn't get older. He's hard as shit and he doesn't get old. Um, and like, yeah, the I love the dynamic between the two personally and then the just heavy, nasty strikes from Ishii, the selling from Ishii. And then, yeah, one of the things that I always love about Ishii is when he does get like petty and vindictive with like counter leg work and stuff like that where like he's like for some reason it just makes sense that he's like pissed off and he's annoyed that his leg is getting worked over so he goes after jay white's leg and that or, kind of or, stuff or like, or like or like when he steals someone's move like when yeah. he did like the one way name to the kenny omega it's like i can see this like little motherfucker getting back getting mad you're like you know what fuck you i'm doing your move now. yeah and it works for him because he gets dismissed so much he is the ultimate underdog and this was the perfect spot he's the ultimate spoiler because not only is he the ultimate underdog and you never could think that he'll he's gonna win you also 100% know that he can beat anybody Ishii is the perfect fucking wrestler for this position there's nobody I can think of really in wrestling in general and maybe in the history of wrestling who is better at coming across like they can beat anybody but also you expect them to lose to anyone you know what I mean like I there's nobody mm. like that in wrestling and the way he's positioned in New Japan and the way that he's worked, like, it makes it make so much fucking sense. He hits the um, stun dog millionaire, which is yeah, insane. Jesus. Where the fuck was God, that? Just, yeah. Just like real, just real randomly. Yeah. Um, you, you, you said some, you said something during, uh, our last show about, you know, feeling like Jonathan Gresham was the best wrestler in the world. And like, I'm hard pressed to disagree with you, but like, after having him at number two, last, like, having him at number two for 2019, 
Dude, I'm sorry. I, I, I really feel like Jay White is like right there at like best wrestler in the world level. Well, the other and, thing I said on the last episode was I asked you, Anthony Henry, the best heel in the United States, and I clearly said the United States for a reason. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, like, obviously, Jay White is the best heel in the world, but, like, it goes beyond that. I've, I've, I've talked about the nuance and how Jay White works. He, Jay White sells better than a, better than a lot of people. Honestly, Jay White is an, is an elite seller. Um... Jay White's limb work is like Tanahashi level. Like he's he's somehow like baby Tanahashi, but like you know working like a more like you know Devitt style. It's ridiculous, and I don't know, man. The more I watch Jay White, and I know that we were early on this because yeah, you know we were we, we were we were praising his G one last year when a lot of people weren't, and now he comes back this year, and guess what? Everyone's praising Jay White's G one, and I feel like Jay White is like right there on best wrestler in the world and i don't i don't know man the more i watch him and the more i know that the face turn is on is on the horizon and the eventual split from gato and like bullet club is really crowded right now when some decisions had to be made jay white i know can work as a baby face yeah that's fine yeah his skill set will transition just fine to being a babyface. It's for anyone that's worried. It's insane to think about because I almost think that he's a, a more natural babyface than he is a heel, but he's been such a good heel. He is. He, he, he be like, like like people like like babyface Jay White as a young lion is one of the most beloved young lions that we've had in like yeah. years. I mean I saw him live, PWG. Like he is something else, man. Like I don't know. You just like he jumps off, he jumps off the canvas. I guess I'll say like, I don't know. You just like, fucking your eye, your eyes are drawn to him. He's so good. He's so crisp. Everything he does, and he's only gotten better. Really, I mean, you know, he was a little bit clunky when he first started out as a heel because he was like doing so much different stuff. But he's developed it now. Where like I don't know. Like, th- there was also a reason why I even said it on the podcast last week. I talked about Gresham being the most skilled wrestler on the planet. I talked about Gresham being the best wrestler alive in a very particular context. When I say skilled, I mean like the execution, the things that he can do, but that doesn't mean that he does like Gresham just doesn't get the chances. And that's why I said, I don't, that doesn't mean that Gresham wins my wrestler of the year year. It just means that he's the most skilled wrestler on the planet, but Jay white could easily be the wrestler of the year because he gets the chances and you know he does a lot of different things super well gresham like i said most natural most smooth knows everything at a moment's notice i think his brain just has an encyclopedia of all of the coolest wrestling shit that you can imagine and he knows how to not just think of it but execute it perfectly but jay white is the one who actually gets to go out there and and execute the stuff and unfortunately gresham just doesn't get the chance as much so I could see Jay White being your wrestler of the year for 2020, and it's a weird fucking year, and it's really kind of a shitty year to be peaking, because I think any other year, Jay White could be running away with it. But unfortunately, in 2020, it's, like, really hard for anyone to be running away as the wrestler of the year, you know? And I'm not sure who my wrestler, who my wrestler of the year is. It's someone that admittedly, like, my 2020 viewing has been, like, so choppy and messed up, and, like, me going in and out due to just, like, things happening within wrestling and all around the world that made, that made me check out. But 
I guess in the realm of I'm just not sure that he isn't the best wrestler in the world. And I felt and I felt that way last year, and that wound up being the, it wound up being Davis R for my for my wrestler of the year last year while you had um Jordan Makabe. No, I had Jordan um, Devlin last year. Oh, you did have Jordan Devlin. I thought yeah. you, had, you did. You had Daniel Makabe in 2018. Yeah. Um, and you and, and you having and you having Jordan Devlin and both of us have our top wrestlers of the year getting canceled this year, so that was fun. Yeah, you know, just you know, um, I guess by uh, what the additive property. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Jay White is the is the wrestler, but no, seriously, like I've I felt that way about him last year, and I almost pulled the trigger on him being the wrestler of the year last year, and he's only gotten better since then. And I really feel like with a face turn, the people that still complain about Gato when interference when he's a fucking heel, that like. Once that's gone, you're gonna see everybody jump on the bandwagon and call Jay White one of the best wrestlers in the world. I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> um, but we but we but we can move on. Um, trying to help brother, we had a, we did a three hour show for the collector, yeah, so don't get mad ago. at us. So, so don't so don't get mad at us when we cut the one a little short. Yeah. Uh, moving on to, moving on to the to the B block uh, finals. Uh, I didn't really care for Kenta versus Naito again. Um, it's kind of disappointing. I feel like that is a pairing that, like, no, it always sounds like it has potential and it just doesn't yeah. do it for me. Um, you have anything to add there, really? No, I mean, not in that match. Uh, Tanahashi Saber for me is always going to be a, a match that I enjoy. Um, uh, I, I understand diminishing people don't like it, blah blah blah, but I, I just, I always think that they have great chemistry with each other. I think that Tanahashi really respects, um, Saber's kind of Billy Robinson esque style stuff that he does. He 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 really really likes Zach. Like yeah. you, you can tell he enjoys him a lot. Yeah. Um. I also I thought it was very funny the entire tournament and and Ishii had it too, but Zach's was even more the the knee wrap. They for some reason they put these weird yellow thing in the knee wrap and every one of Zach's matches basically his uh his knee wrap would like get busted open and the yellow would fly and I don't know if you've been like if you're paying attention but. On the Indies in the in America, the yellow flags have been uh, been flying to represent Brianna Taylor, and it's just been very mm. odd to see Zack Saber Jr. having yellow flags flying in every one of his matches. Yeah. I don't think it was intentionally for the Brianna Taylor thing, obviously, um, but uh, that has been been odd. Um, and Juice Robinson versus Goto was fine, but it did it was a match that like on the end of it had me realize and remember like that Juice Robinson is is. Uh, Juice Robinson, I guess. Um, the fuck, C.J. Parker, because like I've liked him so much, and he's such a good babyface in New Japan that I forget that he is like totally the kind of person that I would absolutely hate in real life. And like there was something about the post match, the way that he was acting, that I was just like, oh yeah, I completely forgot this guy is such a fucking douche. Like he is completely a douche. Like he is, but like I was just like, and that just goes to show how good of a babyface he is, really. Because he's such a good oh, babyface yeah, totally. wrestler that, like, on a personal level, I don't think I would like this guy at all. But, like, in the ring, I, I fucking love him. I fall in love with him every match, and I think that he's great, and I always want him to win. And it's just like, yeah, it's it's, it's very funny. Um, but the main event of the evening, uh, Los Ingobernables explode. The I think, are they the longest reigning IWGP Tag Team Champions? I think they may Phew. actually have set that record. Um, over ten, over over ten, Koji. I don't know. I think they might not combined reigns. I think like a single reign. They might actually have the record. I still, I don't. Still, I don't know. They have like. 
I don't know, maybe. I, I they have some kind of tag record. Honestly, I can't remember what it is. Um, either way, um, they come in here to go up against each other, and uh, I don't know. Like, in some ways, I enjoy the um, the booking and the setup. You know, like I I think it's kind of cool. The way that they built to this, and it feels like both these guys are now being elevated to the t to the top of the card and, and to the championship level, based on like again like th this long tag team reign that they had with each other. But uh, like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't love it, <laughs> but I respect it, and I think that it's interesting to see, and I think that they put like effort into like actually making something out of this and like really doing something with them um and the way that they built it and with evil winning the title first when you wouldn't expect it and the fact that sonata still hasn't even won the championship and like all of that is like pretty like unique and i can get it and the fans in japan seem to like it a lot but for me coming into the match and coming out of it i was not like uh super invested you know what i mean and i didn't ever really care that much about the match or what was going on or the background or any of it. So I don't know. Quentin, what did you think? Uh, you know, my, my feelings on evil, like, you know, those are documented. Like, I just feel like this was like done just to do it. And like, you know, now they're kind of pushing him because he's one, one, the fucking belt. Like they have to push him kind of like, um, but like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't think even like with the with the crowd being able to cheer and like chant and all that kind of stuff that uh that that, that this would have been a match that would have gotten to that necessary level. This is a block deciding match to see who's gonna go to the G one final, and I just don't feel like either of these guys. Well, I feel like Sonata can do it. I feel like Sonata can get to that level sometimes or even get close to that level but I just don't think that's evil at all and I especially don't think that's evil when he's doing this character and I think if the, if Hiroma wasn't here I feel like you know it, it's just even worse I feel like they kind of had Hiromu there and I felt like without his charisma without his personality that this would have fell, e fell even more flat being the like the the block decider going into the G1 final like think of how big of a spot that's been the last few years from I, I, from I don't know like your from from your uh, Okada and oh, from your Okadas and Nakamura's to your Omegas and Naitos to your Okada and Abushi last year to like whatever you want to say and here you are and this is what we get. Like this is this that's disappointing. And even even if I can acknowledge that like Sonata isn't for me, and that some people may like it more, or that some people might be more into the evil thing, even that seems like a universal thing that people aren't into. It just it just feels like no, like that's just not how this is supposed to feel going into this. So after that, I was really apprehensive going into the G one final. Um, which if, if you're, if you're comfortable moving on to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, I, 
And I looked it up, and they're nowhere near setting any records. I was completely, like, remembering that wrong. I don't know why I thought that that they were. But, yeah, like, the B-Block finals recently have actually been, like, very exciting. Um, And this was, I don't know, for me, I just didn't get it. Wasn't into it. Um, Um. The Dick Togo Hiromu stuff was, like... I don't know. I I saw that, and I, that was the first time I've gotten excited in a while thinking about the idea that you could do Hiromu Takahashi versus Dick Togo. So yeah, like like that's that cool, fun. and it's like, yeah. but then like that's not what you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to feel like oh, like Sonata gets revenge over the guy that turned his back on Lij, or oh Sonata's a big moment. He's in the G1. Like you're supposed to feel that, and I'm like oh this this, this junior match should be really good when they do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that was what I came out of it excited for, honestly, which is a bummer. Um. But yeah. Uh, um, okay. So going into the G1 final, I'll be honest. It's. I like the match. It's got to be weird no, for it, you because you go into the G1 final and you predicted Sonata pretty much the whole time. You predicted Sonata winning since last year. I think. Yeah. You basically have. Sonata, yeah. I predicted Sonata winning since like. Yeah. Since last, like last G1. Like, you know, it's just like last Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, you've <laughs> like, been predicting that Sonata would be winning this, this G1 and be on the next Wrestle Kingdom for like a long fucking time. And so you go into this, and you've got Sonata yeah, versus Abushi. Like, Abushi's third straight G1 final. Third straight a chance, G1 final. A chance to prove, you know, the, to be the first guy to win two back to back since Tenzan, like years and years ago. And you go into it, and it basically feels. It feels like for me watching it that this is I'm not a Japanese fan. I'm not in Japan and this final is going to not be for me. You set up Mm. Ibushi having a very easy loss with the leg match. He comes in with his fucking quad tape to shit and you've got the commentators, the English commentary doing a great job of putting over just how fucked up and damaged his leg is. You come in here and we talked about it. It seems like it's been clandestined and fucking predicted for year for over a year and a half at this point probably that Sonata is going to win this. But over that time, Sonata has felt like he's fallen apart. I mean, I talked about it, but Sonata just he can't even do what Sonata is good at anymore. It feels like it feels like half the time I'm I've never been a huge Sonata fan, but at least there was a point where I could appreciate what he's supposedly good at and he's gotten to the point now where he can't even do that okay so let me make my argument go ahead do you do do you feel like in some point at, at some part like people like at least like the western fans and what and so has always been divisive with western fans but do you feel like in some part how you feel about sonata you know even not feeling normal like you know like you know even like the uh, good qualities that he might have even be showing do you feel like that's like that's because of the lack of crowd or the lack of crowd participation which was a big thing for sonata if you remember like seeing polls and seeing that stuff like sonata was being voted as like the third most popular wrestler in japan he's, uh, like at least as re- as, like at least as recently as like last year he's still being be, that voted would... that way to this day yeah. he's being voted as one so, of the most popular wrestlers in japan that, so 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 my so so I guess my yeah. point is that like, do you think that like the lack of audience there 
is maybe coloring your uh, perception here because if this was a situation where this was Sonata versus Ibushi in a full, packed, hot, sumo hall crowd, that well, it, it would feel different probably. It would feel different because the crowd would be hot as fuck and the crowd would be losing their mind. But still, in my mind, like, I would be thinking they're going crazy for Ibushi. And here's the thing, like, n- no. I don't think that that's it because my issues with Sonata have always been about Sonata. And I've always, even when you explained it to me and I accepted it. Like, with, I remember when you explained it to me and Sonata was crying, leaving after losing to uh, Okada, that I accepted that Sonata was going to win the G1. And he was going to win the title at Wrestle Kingdom at some point. And I had just accepted it. But even throughout that entire time, my my thing was always, he, I know that he's over, and I know that the crowd loves him, and I hear the way that they react to him, and I know that you're right, that he's the guy, but I don't, I don't see it, and I don't like him. And I don't think that he has any personality or any charisma. So I don't, it doesn't, it never made a difference to me. I knew that he was over. I knew that he was one of the most popular guys in the company. I know that even to this day, he's one of the most over and most popular people in the company. And I just don't like him. I don't get into his stuff. I think that he's boring. And here's the fucked up thing. I remember Seiya Sonata in Impact. I remember Seiya Sonata on excursion to TNA. And I remember there was this stupid fucking show that they did. It was called like the Spin Cycle. And it was backstage vignette bullshit with like Robbie E and Jeremy Borash and Seiya Sonata and Shima Zion and all of those kind of people. And I used to think that he had so much fucking personality and he was super interesting and cool. And I thought that like, yeah, I like this guy. I was not a huge fan of his wrestling, but I at least thought he had some personality. And since he's come to New Japan, he just has nothing. No charisma, no personality, and nothing worthwhile. His stuff while he was still in Wrestle 1, was, like, fine. But I don't know what it was, but he's just, like... Since he's been back in Japan, I just don't get anything from him personality-wise. And if he brought any kind of charisma, I could be into it. But now he's gotten to the point where I don't even think that they're saving him because even if he brought charisma back, he he can't do it. And people are, like, making excuses for this match and making excuses for him, like saying, oh, I think that maybe there was, like, um, Abushi got a concussion early on from, like, a botched dropkick leapfrog thing. But it's, like, Abushi having a concussion doesn't really make, like, up for the fact that Sonata kept blowing spots. Sonata was, like, setting up moonsaults in, like, completely the wrong place. Sonata was, like, repeatedly, like, struggling to be able to do basically anything. Sonata does these fucking, like, his dragon sleeper twist spin thing and he always like loses control of his opponent and it ends up looking super awkward like i'm sorry but like abushi getting a concussion does not make sonata clearly like have no control of his opponent half the time and barely be able to like fucking go up for his spots like i'm sorry like that is not the issue is not that abushi got a concussion abushi i can probably count like i think you would be able to keep track of and have less time of abushi wrestling without a concussion than he has with a concussion i feel like abushi gets a concussion more often than he doesn't have a concussion really 
So it's like to, to, to say that that was why the match had issues and was sloppy at times. It's like, no, like Sonata has repeatedly been like not there at a position, barely able to control things. Like people say like, oh, he comes across like he's too smooth sometimes. I heard Meltzer say that. I think that the issue is that Sonata does stuff and it's so smooth that it doesn't look impressive. I've said that about Ricochet. I've said that about Artemis Spencer. <laughs> and let me tell you something. Yeah, like you say, you say, Sonata you, you is you not that, Ricochet. Like, I'm about to say, you can say that about, like, Ricochet or Zack Sabre Jr. Like I said, Artemis, Artemis Spencer. Spencer or, but, or Jonathan Gresham or even Will Ospreay or, like, Alex Shelley. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sonata? Sonata is not so smooth that it doesn't look difficult. I'm sorry. This guy can fucking, at this point, he can barely move. Which is, I mean, it's perfect. He's catching up with uh, with his mentor, in, uh, the Great Muda, in being able to, like, barely do moonsaults. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. That said, I thought that this positioning, this booking, everything they did here was great for actually making Ibushi into what they've been talking about. Repeatedly talking about that Ibushi is trying to become God. And being one of the first people since, like, the legends of New Japan to be able to win two G1s back-to-back. Yeah, he, he's, back. he's, been, he's been chasing the gods. Look, look, yeah. gods. look who he looks after. He looks up to Nakamura and Tanahashi. Like, he talks about Tanahashi being a god to him. And, you know, everyone had their other stories that they that they talked about, but they didn't talk about the fact, like, Abushi is the one that went over for 2 with the Dome. Like, no one talked about the fact that hey like maybe they might make it up to that guy right yeah and or it makes that, sense like, or, or that they might want to like you know do right by him or that this might be the story that Ibushi got so close only to realize how far away he truly was and that's coming back for redemption no one no one thought no one thought about that we were all like looking at the like the new shiny things like oh here's Sonata or oh here's Jay White or oh they might do Okada again they haven't done Okada in six years they might do Okada again or even you oh they might have Naito be the first champion in however long to win to win the G1 while while being the champ or well Evil just won the title so maybe Evil like you know all that stuff that was going on and no one considered that Abushi the guy that won the G1 last year the guy that went over two at the dome you know. He might he might want some revenge. Yeah, and it like I said, it makes sense because in the history books, it goes down that Ibushi is the first guy of the modern era, the first guy in a very long time to to win two G ones back to back, and the first guy you know again to to cement his legacy in the history of New Japan in a long time. And he comes into this against the guy that was the pick. I mean, he was the pat hand. He was the odds-on favorite to win the tournament since last year. And Ibushi comes in here and he wins, and he not only just beats the guy who was the Amazon favorite, but he also, again, like adds his name to the pantheon and the history, and it plays into the 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 god thing. Being becoming a god means adding your name, carving your name into the fucking granite, making history, and that's what he did here. And so I really enjoy that booking, and I really enjoy that booking for Ibushi, a guy who talked about the stuff with Evil and Sonata, but. Obushi, I was thinking about it, and I was like, what the fuck happened that Kenny Omega won the title before Ibushi? And then I kind of remembered that he he fucked off and wrestled in WWE for a while and was Tiger Mask W and all that weird stuff. Yeah, and decided, and he decided he didn't want to wrestle and he wanted to go around the world and yeah. find himself and do all that. Which, you know, if he, if he didn't do that, if he just decided that, hey, let me just go sign this New Japan deal, he probably would have won it in like 
2016 or 2017. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it probably would have been before Omega, and he would have been... Yeah, but... You also wouldn't probably have gotten this whole thing because this whole God run huh. is where I think that we start to like really like establish Abushi in the pantheon of the of New Japan, and it's really fucking cool because I think of out of all the people around, I think Abushi does deserve to everyone to be legendary. It's like, it's, like, it's like everyone has their own little things that they can hold on to right now, right? It's like if you look at the big four of New Japan, if we're still counting like you know Tanahashi into it, Tanahashi's still. Like you know, ha- like you know, has all the reigns that he has. Okada has um has the longest reign, beating ha- you know beating Hashimoto, um, and you know Naito being the being the first double champ and all that stuff and like all the accom- accomplishments that those guys have. Like, Abushi's the one that has gone to three straight G one finals. Yeah. Like, I like how they kind of like differentiate the accomplishments. I think that's like. Part of what was so good about the Three Musketeers is that you like go through like the accomplishments of like Mudo, Chono, and uh, and and Hashimoto that like they all had different accomplishments. They all had different things that made them who they were. And I feel like they're doing that now with like Ibushi, Naito, and Okada, and like to some extent Tanahashi, who's still hang- who's still hanging around. Um, just to briefly touch on the match itself, I'm like. I, 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 the Bushi Sonata match from a couple of years ago when G1 was divisive, but I remember liking it somewhat. And I feel like for this setting, for as long as it goes, it, it kind of braces by for me. It's yeah. like it's the least annoying version of Sonata that I've seen since that Okada G1 miracle last year. Um, and yeah, I, I like, you know, Sonata is still clunky. Like, you know, he's still in there, he's in there, in there with Kota Bushi, who's one of the smoothest wrestlers of all time and he's still going to have his clunky moments standing next to that dude but Sonata didn't look super out of place which is like the best compliment that I can give him I he didn't feel super out of place I liked the finish I really liked the near fall with him um getting the getting the getting the bridging pin on Ibushi and the crowd just couldn't help but go oh despite the fact that they're not supposed to yeah. you know be so we'd be doing that. They just they just couldn't help it, um, and yeah, for as much as for as much of that, it's still like a lower scale G one final ever. But like we're talking about the G one final that produces some of the best matches of all time, the best matches of the year, the best matches of the decade. Like it's not that it's not going to be anyone's match of the year. Probably it's not going to be one of the matches of the decade or, ma- or best matches ever. But you know, this was still a good match in my opinion, and like. All the like de- negative feelings I had about Sonata coming into it, like he made he made a square. I'll say, after that evil match and not knowing where this was gonna go with him and you know if this was even the right move or if you know this will ever work, Sonata Sonata made a square yeah. with that with that match. I'll say, yeah, he hit his spots. He hit, he played his role here really well. I think, I think some of it too is you think about. Abushi, for me at least, it's really hard not to think about Abushi and Omega, and part of their, part of what made them so amazing together is that they were both just fucking psychos who basically could be perfect machines and wrestle and deliver at the highest level after being dumped just nasty on the top of your head and then not missing a beat, you know, in just some of the most brutal spots and. Abushi doesn't even do half of the the insane brutal shit that he used to do, and Abushi can have 
match of the year level matches with only kicks now. But still, when it's time to turn it up, I think that if he doesn't have a dance partner that's at that level, he's not necessarily going to to really be able to to kick like you know hit those those peaks. And like you said, Sonata making it square, I think it's fair because I think that here Sonata didn't he didn't uh, shit the bed. He was there, and there was some stuff that was really cool. The big rolling prawn hold for the near fall that like everyone in the building thought was three, you know. Everyone thought that that was three. Mm-hmm. That fucking they, near like, fall. They, 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 they literally could not help but react. Yeah, that was fucking huge. That was so huge. And that was something that you're not going to get, you know, from just anyone. So, th- like, that spot was fucking gigantic. And just everything in general. But, yeah, it's just, for me, it's like, it, 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 it is like a step off. It's not, you know, at that top, top level. Of course, even as, uh, even as good as it is, it's just... There's, like, a very so, rare level of person who's going to be able to keep up with Ibushi. Like, we've seen it with, like, the Ricochet for the um, Best of the Super Juniors final that they had with each other. And, like... I think, I think, it, was a, I think it was the title match. I'm not sure yeah, it maybe it was probably the title match. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like, there's, like, very few people who can, like, really deliver at the same level as Ibushi when it comes down to it. Um, but, yeah, it's just, uh, you know... You got someone like Ensenada here who at least proved like you said make it square at least prove that like he doesn't he, sh- he doesn't deserve to be talked about in the same conversation he can he can get there and we can see and you can make it work but i just i missing the personality and i want to see more charisma and more personality from him to make up for the fact that he's not at the level that he used to be when it came to like physical stuff because he used to be able to get by with like his his physical smoothness and he's just really not there anymore but uh but yeah um... you were gonna Close out some I was gonna, so I was gonna, you're gonna say so we're gonna close this out you know you know they announced that uh they'll be they'll be returning they'll be doing two dome shows again um so return of the double dome one four and one five and you know we have no clue what that means yet you know coming out of the g1 we have you know you know brewing tension between jay white and evil and you know what may happen there? We have the Okada and Osprey storyline, and really everything is. Everyone has already been so paired off to the point where you look at it and it's like, okay, there's gonna be two dome shows, but Obushi and Naito are just like looking dead at each other because everyone else is so preoccupied. So I don't know how those two dome shows are gonna look. Honestly, I don't know how they make this work. Because you already have this brewing Bullet Club thing. You already have Will versus Okada. And I would imagine that, that that would follow through all the way to Wrestle Kingdom. And now you just have Ibushi after winning G1. And, you know, I feel like the right thing should be Ibushi standing tall and winning yeah. and, getting, and, getting, and getting his moment. I feel like that should be the answer here. But I'm just looking at this, and you know, it'll play, it'll work itself out as we get closer to to, Jan- to January, uh, to January fourth and fifth. But I'm looking at this, and man, I do not know what to expect from this. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? Like, so Naito, Naito lost to um, Kenta, right, and Evil. 
I think were Naito's yeah. losses. So I think he lost to Sonata as well. Okay. Um. And do they split the titles? You have a pretty good excuse to do it when you have two. You know, you have two like championship matches to happen. Um, for the. For the dome, you have two nights. I I I, I think that the uh, evil evil uh got got a, got the win. Yeah. On the uh, on the finals show, so I feel like they are gonna revisit Naito versus Evil one last time to get through the year. But again, they can they kind of knocks Evil out because then Evil I feel like is then then gonna go mess with uh mess with Jay White. Right. So I feel like and okay, so this is my like crazy. Over the top. Oh, on, on top on top of Kenta. Kenta also beating him. So yeah. like you don't so you don't know. I but I'm trying I'm trying I'm thinking I'm I mean, based on what I can see, what I think makes sense, you got two nights, you can play around with stuff. I think Kenta loses the briefcase to Tanahashi. I think Tanahashi versus Moxley becomes a Tokyo Dome match. I think you can make it work. Um, you know, whatever. They can pre tape something for, for Dynamite or they can who knows, Moxley might not have the title by then, but the AEW title, but I think that you can do Tanahashi Moxley. That's a huge match for the Dome, and I think that Kenta wins the Intercontinental title on one of the nights of the Dome, probably the first night, and then I think that the main event of the second night, Abushi wins the IWGP title, and I think that or you could, I guess Kenta could not win the title, but I think that Kenta challenges for the Intercontinental title at least, and I think you do Kenta and so Naito. Like, so you feel like you feel like, so you feel like they split the belts? Yeah, I think that they split the belts on the two. Dome shows, and I think that they do Kenta for the IC title, Abushi for the world title, and I think that that Abushi wins the IWGP title. And Kenta, I don't know, maybe Kenta doesn't win the title, but I honestly, I kind of like the idea that last year at the Dome, Naito leaves with both belts, and this year Naito leaves with no belts. You know, I think that that just right. makes sense to me. But again, I also picked Naito to win the G1, so my predictions are. Or who knows? But I do think that yeah, I think you're right that Evil gets a title shot sooner. Kenta gets the title shot at the Dome, and I think that uh, or he gets the IC title. Is, shot. Is, 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 is either, either Kenta or Evil will get some kind of shot. He lost to two Bullet Club members, and I feel like then that's gonna be used to further the Jay White in Bullet Club dissension. Yeah. You know, either way, either way a Bullet Club member is getting a shot at the title. Yeah, and I do think that Evil and Jay White becomes a big match at the Dome, and I do think that, that Osprey and, and Okada is a big match at the Dome as well. Yeah, so that's so that, so that's so that's how I'm, so that's how I'm looking at this and you know, we'll see as the rest of the year goes on, but shit, man, like we're already in the middle of October. Right. You know, yeah. And this would have already this would have already happened because of the Olympics. If you know a global pandemic didn't happen, the G one would have still been happening in October, and we still would have been having this conversation. But now, you know, we're already in the middle of October. We're only a couple of weeks away from November, and December's gonna fly by. Like January first is not that far away. Nope. You know that we're we're like we're not that far away from January. So I'm really curious as to how this is gonna work. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. What do you think about, like I said, with the Tanahashi Moxley? Where do we think we end up with Moxley with the Dude, U.S. Man, title? I don't I don't know, but, like, you know, AEW has to let them do something. They right. have to let New Japan do something, I would think. And I've seen that, like, 
with Harold May being gone, that like right. there is potential for an AEW New Japan relationship to be better with Harold May not being there. But who knows? But like at some point, Mox has to be able to come back and like drop the title. Right. I mean, it's not a hundred percent AEW because they're open to letting Moxley, you know, come to Japan and and drop the title. But the the pandemic also hurts it, which means well, of that course, of course, they of have course. to carve out two weeks. Of quarantine time for him to be able to come to Japan and then quarantine for two weeks. And honestly, I mean, right now the way it works, he has to fly to Japan, quarantine for two weeks, wrestle, fly to America, theoretically quarantine for two weeks, even though it's not required. So technically he could come back to America and wrestle the next day, but you would want to be safe, you know. And he's already shown that he wants to be safe when the stuff happened with Renee. He didn't just, like, show up. He he chose to quarantine himself. So you would think he would do two weeks of quarantine. So you got to basically give Moxley a month off of TV so that he can wrestle one match in Japan. Or, you know, they could just let him wrestle for New Japan in America, which is not part of his contract. But it's like, it's a trade-off, right? It's Do you let him take yeah. a month off to wrestle in Japan? Or do you let him wrestle for New Japan in America? Or do you have Tanahashi show up on Dynamite and win the title from Moxley on... Like, do you have Moxley lose on Dynamite to someone else's wrestler so that he can take the title? I don't know. But, yeah, yeah it's, I, I it's don't know, man. Like, that, like, that's that's, that's going to be another one to really, really pay attention to. But, it's true. You know, it's... You know, this is new. This is new Japan season. You know, but it's you know, true. as we you know, as we get as we get as we get post G one and we get closer to the to the dome shows, like this is like new Japan season. Is like okay, let's see what you guys have have up your sleeve and how you guys try like plan on making this work. Right. Well, it's true, and but it is new Japan season. But Quentin, it's also we need to get through the show quickly season. You asked for this to be a fast show. It's almost at two hours, so we have to get into it. N1 final, Champions Carnival final. Oh, uh, what did you... <laughs> All right, Quentin. Um, do you got anything you want to tell the people about before we go? Uh, No. I'm going to go and watch the N1 and Champions Carnival finals uh, as, soon, as soon as I get off of here, probably. But, um, yeah, just a lot, go- a lot going on. Uh, if you still haven't listened to the Psychology is Dead episode with me and Ooh. Joseph Montecilio, uh, then, go ahead, then go ahead and do that. Really enjoyed doing that episode, um, so go ahead and give that a listen if you have not done so yet. Other than that, I have nothing else to share or plug. You can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody, and you can follow Timothy at Bone Dog's Wife. Uh, thank you for listening, and hope you're next time. You're trying hard not to show it.